Pod Pals, and welcome back to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. I am your host, Nicole Davis. Lockdown is easing in the UK, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean things are getting easier. Uh, we can, however, mooch around bookshops, um, and cinemas aren't far behind, you know, which is a, a cheering thought. Other good things to celebrate uh, this week, the BAFTAs happened at the weekend. I mean, the ceremony was weird, it was always going to be, uh, we were never going to get away from that. Um, and you just you just can't replicate the, the voyeuristic joys of watching a room full of celebrities win or, or lose prizes. But it was exciting nonetheless to see Buki Bakray win the E! Rising Star Award for her breakout performance in Rocks, as well as Nomadland winning Best Film and Chloe Zhao winning Best Director, uh, both very deservedly. Um, there was also a great speech from Yu Jung Yun after she won Best Supporting Actress for Minari, and also a very gorgeous joint performance between Corinne Bailey Ray and Leslie Odom Jr. Um, yeah, so lots of great highlights. But on to this week's episode, in which I spoke to film publicist Kayla Heyer. Kayla is a Montreal born, formerly Berlin based publicist and the founder of Exile PR. She's been working with film festivals for over a decade, including Montreal's Fantasia International Film Festival, Frightfest London, Fantastic Fest in Austin, and the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, among others. Films that she's represented, such as Cam, Sea Fever, Random Acts of Violence, and The Beach House have screened at festivals around the globe. We talk about how she got into publicity, uh, what it was like striking out on her own, um, you know, how she manages working for herself, and how she goes about creating that all-important buzz. Um, this was a really fun chat, and Kayla was incredibly transparent about her career thus far, uh, so I hope you enjoy listening to it. This is episode 80 of Best Girl Grip. I guess I always kind of like to start around the kind of academic arena and just get a sense of um, what you studied at university, if you did in fact go to university, um, and why perhaps you chose that course. I, I live in Montreal, uh, which is, you know, in Quebec, Canada, and we're, we're super lucky here to have, like, phenomenal universities that are really affordable and have, you know, such wide-ranging kind of subjects um, and, and very, like, modern courses, too. So I, I didn't like have the kind of American pressure and I, I don't know how it's in the UK when there's like a specific school that you sort of need to go to or anything. So I, I just went to the local kind of not hard to get into university, <laughs> which uh, is Concordia. And, and I kind of hopped around a bit. You know, first I was, I, I think it's called like mature student or something because I'd taken time off to work. I think I was working at Urban Outfitters. I have a very like ha- hazardous origin with academia. <laughs> Like I, I dropped out of CJEP. CJEP is kind of our pre-university. So I was right. in liberal arts first, then I was in fine arts, then I worked, then was a mature student. I don't even remember what that means anymore. Then I then I settled into to English literature. I always kind of felt like I had a a special flair for, you know, the written word or and I was just moseying on a moseying through my, you know, English literature courses with no idea of what would happen as, as most young adults do at, at some point, where you find yourself paying for a degree with no real understanding of what that degree will do for you. And, you know, in and out of jobs. And it, it was just kind of existing, I suppose. And I'd had a lot of trouble with consistency. But one thing that was consistent in my life was working every summer at the Santa International Film Festival. Before I was, you know, working there in the communications department, I was a volunteer, I think, for five years. And it's it's a massive festival. It's three weeks long every summer. So it really, you know, 
uproots your life, so to speak. At some point, I just kind of realized that the only consistent in my life through all these formative years were these summers when I would work at the festival or volunteer at the festival and just enjoyed it, it so much. And it, it, it validated me in ways I, I can't even fully put into words. And I, I kind of just, was at the point where you're starting to try and figure out what your long-term goals <laughs> are going to be. And I figured like, well, how can I turn whatever it is that I get out of working at this festival or volunteering back then, how can I turn this feeling into like a constructive career path? And so I got an internship in the communications department, which I I feel like we'll talk about that a little bit more later on, but I, I really loved it. And I tried from there, I tried to apply to the communications department at my university, which isn't exactly the same as like film industry communications like I feel like communications departments and universities are, are kind of a little bit more like I like new media oriented uh, but it had the same name so I thought that was what I needed <laughs> to do and I got turned down because my grades weren't good enough and mm-hmm. I got told to just you know get your grades back up and apply again next year but then I got offered an internship to, at a film festival in Austin Texas inter- internship I guess like you know one-off kind of position right and if I did it it was going to conflict with the beginning of the next school term so I had to kind of decide then if I was going to take this amazing opportunity to go to Austin and work with this great festival or was I going to you know suck it up and do a whole nother year of English literature even though I kind of was like checked out now because I like had my eyes set on like a different prize so (laughs) the one that brought me to Austin Texas and I have just been working since then in one form or another and never got that university degree. Thank God I'm not in (laughs) debt from all of those sort of uh, beginnings that never had an end. Yeah, here I am. It causes me a bit of stress because I think Mm. there's still some pressure in society to kind of like have that degree. And and, and I guess just, I'm not sure how old you are, but like, I feel like I could say we... uh, confidently like we're part of that generation where we mm. do feel like having a degree offers some form of job security even though it doesn't that idea <laughs> is still just like like nailed into our heads I mean that's amazing it takes I guess quite a lot of courage to go down one path though and then sort of divert maybe at this like last minute and I'm wondering if you know that felt scary at the time and you know perhaps what prompted you to, to really go for that position and it wasn't even a communications internship it was like helping their event coordinator or something something really like outside of my well, what is now, I guess, my realm, but still Mm. seemed like a a really amazing opportunity. And in terms of like being scared or or taking the jump, I make a lot of rash decisions. I I feel like I've lived my whole life just kind of like following what feels right in the moment, which obviously is not fucking smart but <laughs> it sometimes was occasionally it works. It works. <laughs> yeah that, that was really just like another in a series of like spontaneous decisions based off of like what in that moment I felt like was the best decision and and it worked out which is great but like it also could have gone horribly wrong. And <laughs> after that it was just like one thing after another like in such quick succession mm-hmm. that there was never even really a moment to not until I was like a little bit older and was like, oh, shit, what's fucking happening now? Could I like reflect and be like, oh, that was like a huge decision and like a yeah. path and like that path it has kept going. How did that momentum kind of pick up? You know, was it word of mouth? Were you put in touch with other people? You know, it's quite rare for like that internship to then, you know, get the ball rolling. Um, so how did that happen for you? It, so 
much of it all comes back to Fantasia and, you know, having been part of that amazing community for so long and Fantasia, although not, you know, recognized in the same breath as like TIFF or Sundance or, or you know, Trebek or Selfa even, it has such a committed community and people from all over the world, uh, you know, producers, film programmers, even filmmakers that come every year and, and really commit themselves. And, and some of them stay like two fucking weeks, which is insane to me. Like. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I had a really great network already, predominantly of like genre film programmers or re- regional genre film programmers. Um, and, and I just knew these people so socially already that um, I, th- I think the step that happened after the internship that Fantastic Fest was, you know, I reached out to a, a lot of the heads of festivals that I knew that had kind of like small, yeah, small festivals. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of told them like, hey, I'm trying to make this happen. Could I come to your festival and like do PR for your festival? And you won't have to pay me because this is still kind of like really new and developing. But if you could just like bring me in and you know find me a place to stay, a fucking couch, I don't care, then we could do this. And and of course they all jumped at that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Um and I got like a, a few I, I remember Boston Underground was one that you know took me up on that and the Issaca Fantastic Film Festival, mm. which is no longer around, but uh, was run by a really dear friend of mine who I'm still working with, Uzbek And yeah, those were kind of big confidence builders because I was able to see the results I could, the results I could contribute to or whatever. And and everyone was so happy. The filmmakers, the programmers, the the audience member. I guess they didn't care about mm. the press that was coming out from it. But <laughs> it, it, it was like an experiment. And, and I know that there's like, it's really like frowned upon for to do these kind of free internships and all that. And maybe I'm kind of like showing my age a bit and maybe I'm secretly kind of old school. But I, I think there's something to be said about sort of investing in yourself occasionally and, you know, creating these maybe unpaid opportunities, but these opportunities where, yeah, you're testing yourself. And I don't, like, no one's going to offer you a paid internship at a tiny little festival. Mm-hmm. But if you go get that, work you're going to learn everything and I I wonder if you recall the like the moment that you felt like PR was the thing that was like calling you you know like why was that something that you found yourself interested in when I first got the internship at Fantasia so it was Fantasia first then Fantastic Fest and I didn't know what communications was I had told all of the staff at the festival because I was so close with them at this point that I wanted an internship at the fest and you know I didn't didn't really care where just someone give me a fucking job <laughs> um and I, I I was really sociable always I guess like like likable it's weird to call yourself likable so I I assumed I would end up in the hospitality department which you know, now looking back I'm very grateful I didn't one of my close friends at the festival essentially put me up for the the internship for the communications department and let me just reiterate, I had no fucking idea what communications was. Um, and so they kind of explained to me how that job was just, you know, being the face and the liaison with the journalists, making sure they had everything, answering questions. I mean, it was an internship position, so it didn't involve anything like pitching or, or kind of strategy at that point, but just sort of like making sure everyone was taken care of and that, you know, they were watching movies. And it just went so good. It just seemed to like pick up on a lot of the natural organic skills I had as a human being uh, my need to be loved being <laughs> nothing had felt that right before like it was so effortless like mm-hmm. you know obviously there's crunch times and focus and there's you know certain things on the line I mean you're responsible for the premiere of someone's baby and you have to do good on that but it also just felt so natural 
it, it, in a way that nothing had, uh, you know, academia definitely had never felt natural like that. I, I don't know if there was necessarily that eureka moment. I mean, probably when that job went well and I could just look back and, you know, be, be proud of something I've done. And I mean, it's interesting that you talk about unpaid internships and I'm wondering how you converted that into kind of full-time work and at what point you started earning money from, from doing PR. <laughs> Well, it took a while. So, so long, in fact, that my mom still asks me every single time I talk about my work, are you getting paid for it, though? Uh, it's tricky. I think things just kind of like picked up in little bits. Like it went from sort of, you know, small amounts of money. I, I, I've worked, I worked with a mentor for a while who also worked at Fantasia. And so he, uh, you know, started bringing me on to assist on his uh, film distribution campaigns. You know, so there was actual a little bit more money in that than festivals, um, and so I would I would start to get sort of like some uh, some of that that pie, so to say. I, at some point, it went from you know me helping mm-hmm. another publicist on something to people coming to me with their films, whether they were like personal contacts or or even like. God, when distribution companies would reach out to me, I was like floored. I was like, don't they know I'm a fraud? Don't they know I have no fucking idea what I'm doing? But yeah, at some point, if you know the results were there, uh, people were talking, working at the festivals was really good because you you meet the filmmakers, you get the FaceTime, and then you hear from them at some point down the line. That was really cool. (laughs) I think it's all been quite organic, and I'm not sure how it is for other publicists. I, I, I imagine that other publicists are slightly more aggressive with their way about it but I have the bad habit of sort of waiting for things to come to me and the the good the good luck of it actually working out. I suppose though you could phrase that in a way that you're letting the work do the talking for you right and yeah Yeah. the the good press and you know the people that say yeah I've had a great experience kind of be your own publicity. Yeah that that sounds good I should feel that. (laughs) I'm wondering, though, you did mention the word fraud, and I'm wondering, you know, how long it took for you to own the title of being a publicist, you know, being able to call yourself that. I think when I, I, I lived abroad recently, so I just got back to Montreal a couple months ago after after living in Berlin for four years. So I moved to Europe, and I, I kind of tried to go all in on, on that kind of scene. Um, mm. So I, I didn't make it to a lot of small ones, but, you know, Berlinale, Rotterdam, Cannes, Sitges, um, and a few others here and there. And and I think sort of inserting myself into this like, you know, foreign market that was so far from what I had been rooted in before. And, and I still saw so many familiar faces just because of, you know, the way film festivals work. But I, I was kind of like, you know, selling myself all over again in a way. And I think that was really empowering and like seeing how I could do it um, without this kind of like support or the, the buffer zone of what was familiar to me. Yeah, it's around then when I, I really started getting serious about it. And it, you mean, you have to, because, you know, you're meeting people you've never met before. You, you have to have a business card all of a sudden. You have to, you have to like decide what goes on that business card. And that's kind of a big step. Yeah, totally. It's like creating your professional persona, I guess, and how you're yeah. Yeah, presenting yourself to people. I mean, I guess before we kind of get any further, I'd love to sort of pick into what it is to be a publicist, you know, and what that means, it, particularly because you kind of do two roles in my mind is that you're a publicist for like film festivals and organizations. But then, as you say, you kind of also organize premieres for specific films and kind of you're almost like the midwife for these films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, you know, for those particular projects, you know, when do you come on board? You know, how, how soon or late into the process are you attached? 
Yeah. So, so it, 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 it kind of varies my, my standard response when I get like filmmakers email me on my form and PR. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, actually I don't come on until you have a festival premiere. And then I, then we could talk about right. it. So the, the standard kind of topical answer is once a feature film has lo- locked their premiere or, you know, might have like been shooting it around to festivals. Mm-hmm. That's when I could officially come on. Um, so yeah, once a film has a confirmed premiere and we know what we're shooting for and we like know the date and the fest and all that, then we can be like, all right, let's fucking hit the ground running now. Like that's the date that we need everyone to care about. That's mm-hmm. the date when people will see this like thing you've been working on. But but like also like what I don't tell them is that I really love seeing like early cuts. Um, I, I, I'm lucky enough to go to a lot of markets and, and engage with filmmakers, you know, super early before they've even started shooting. And that's really useful and great. And honestly helps you get a foot in the door at some really cool projects early on but I'd like probably never like make it official that soon like you can't make it official until you kind of like know what's going on no and then I'm wondering you know where do you even begin with putting together a publicity campaign you know you've set that date you're on board officially you know where does your work begin the first step is obviously that you watch the movie you talk to the filmmaker about how they see their movie and then you use all of that to come up with like I guess like like not just a pitch but like you put it in you find the words to be able to explain it to journalists so you know these are like the way that you're kind of gonna gonna try and interest them into checking it out um and this could be something really simple like you know it's a post-apocalyptic feminist thriller but it does this with timeline, blah, 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 or uses sound design as if it was a character in the film. So, so finding the parts of the film that really stand out and, and, and will help it break out and, and, and just kind of creating a dialogue or like, I guess it's a dialogue that's inside of you that you're just like there ready to say, but getting that dialogue ready to have with journalists. I also like, I know like a lot of other publicists probably maybe have a bit more structure in the way they do it, but I'm lucky that I've worked with films I really love and filmmakers I think are phenomenally creative. And I honestly think it's just such a delight to share their movies with journalists. So I always kind of look at it as like, what makes me love this film so much that this journalist might, you know, also respond mm-hmm. to. And if they don't get excited by me laying it out like that, then they're not, they're not the one that's meant to watch it. But yeah, I guess like just understanding the film is the first step. I mean, there's, there's like the technical things like a press kit and like a trailer and stills. But if you're lucky, uh, there's like a sales agent who handles all that boring stuff. <laughs> and then you just have to be the one to like send it out into the air. Yeah, I love that idea of making your excitement infectious. And I mean, that's probably the best way to approach it, I guess, because PR gets a bad rap, I guess, just for blasting it out (laughs) without any sense of specificity. And I wonder how you, you know, how you do that. You know, is that just down to research and finding out what people might be into? Yeah. What's your approach there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is relationships, um, which in a past life, we were able to have IRL with (laughs) with people, you know, so working with people repeatedly or, you know, exchanging emails over, Mm. over years, honestly, and just having a sense for what someone might be into. Um, And even, you know, sometimes knowing that maybe they'll hate one part of the film, but they'll like another and just be super fucking upfront with that. So yeah, like past relationships are obviously the first the first kind of pool that you dip into and then and then research really you know looking at 
prominent or even um, like new outlets think like there's so many cool new outlets being started especially by younger writers so just kind of like, investigating and exploring and, and and seeing who on staff or what freelancers you think might vibe with it um typically when i have like a, a new film about to be distributed i'll do like a, a huge research campaign and just like check to see all like the new updated mastheads and like who's like writing about weird shit at this outlet and all that because <laughs> it is constantly changing i mean sadly like job security is a thing of the past so so yeah just kind of like scouting out i mean there is still kind of that big wide send blast email that just you know comes with the job and, and that happens no matter what mm -hmm. but it's the follow-ups and like the personal pitches where you can kind of finesse what you're actually doing and and sort of you know guide things a little bit more and with the changes in like print journalism and i guess yeah the the rise of digital outlets like how has that affected your job it, it works for me personally it's changed the kind of timeline of operations like it used to be when things are print you would have to be pitching these films months in advance um mm -hmm. and that would be where the the bulk of your work would be obviously i mean go back even longer and like even when digital media was starting to become prominent those outlets weren't kind of viewed as priority <laughs> uh but now like the turnover is so fast and and it, it kind of works with my you know anxiety prone work ethic where you can be pitching films up to the very last minute I and mean, hopefully knock on wood you're not but you know you could you could there's always more you can be doing um and there's yeah there's always more outlets and more more kind of outreach that also leads me on to another question, which is, you know, this idea that you can always be doing more. So how do you decide when, you know, you've done enough? Um, I'll tell you the answer to that when I find out the answer to that. Because <laughs> that is a really big problem of mine. And uh, it is so hard to stop because there's always more you can do. And honestly, I, I, I feel like for myself and, and probably for a few other publicists out there who also have this neurosis, like you just stop when you have to focus on the next one. I know I actually get haunted sometimes like I mean not not haunted like I actually kind of the ghost but, like I can't <laughs> sleep at night if if I feel like I, I could have done more mm -hmm. and I like I'm up at night when like movies I've worked on don't get Rotten Tomato certified it's really fucked up I don't I don't recommend anyone getting this invested in this <laughs> stupid job but then how do you how do you measure the success of a campaign you know what for you is a, a job done well I, I mean it sounds so corny but like when a film connects with an audience or when you can feel excitement in the discourse around it. And I mean, obviously now that discourse is Twitter, let's just get that out. Like, yes, I'm talking about like <laughs> Twitter buzz. There's no two ways around it. But yeah, when a film is like exciting people and they're tweeting about it, and not just like people in like the film bubble, but like when you, you search that little keyword and there's like real humans out there that you didn't send a free link to that are watching it and excited and, and posting about it and 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 like obviously when with, with certain platforms like you know Netflix or Amazon like these films are obviously going to be consumed like the algorithm pops them right up there so people all over the world will check them out but when you're dealing with kind of more niche or just any other distributor where you know someone has to like actually look for a movie that maybe they've heard about it's a huge win someone looked for your film and watched it and it's liked it so much they're talking about it and but yeah like that kind of stuff like cultural cachet is that is that thing does that make sense mm -hmm. when a film kind of develops cultural cachet there's also just like it's really cool when it like inspires features that like I had nothing to do mm, with. Yeah. Um, that that's super that's great, and I'm I'm really lucky that like a lot of my films have had that kind of thing. Um, there was one of my movies that got a feature comparing it to um, the Lighthouse, 
it's a good day when that hit. Like, that's when you know people are watching and feeling it. And, like, not only, you know, I mean, obviously that speaks more for the film than, than anything I've done, but it, it's all interconnected in, in a way. I mean, you, you spoke there about you work on the PR at festivals. And I'm wondering, you know, how long that path, are you with the film, like, through to distribution? You know, does that happen on a case-by-case basis? Or are you kind of, as soon as it gets picked up by a distributor, are you then on to the next thing? It's case by case. It typically though the way the industry works is it'll get picked up by a distributor and then that distributor will, you know, decide from their pool of publicists who they want to work uh, want to work on it with. Um I've been lucky that in a few cases that distributor has picked me. Um in other cases I've kind of manipulated the situation so that like the filmmaker brings me on as their personal publicist uh, mm-hmm. just as some kind of backup because we really enjoyed working together and all that. But yeah, usually I have to say goodbye to them in, in some form or another. And it's always very bittersweet. Yeah. And to like watch someone, you know, if someone else has a different interpretation or a different way they want to speak about the film, that yeah. must be, you know, quite hard to, to see. And obviously you have your own company called Exile PR. And I'm wondering at what stage you um, graduated to kind of setting up a whole company yeah. for yourself. You know, what prompted that decision? Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I think that was around the time when I moved also, and I was like, oh, shit, this is it. This is happening. Um, I, I, I had hoped for so long, because, like, I'm a little Canadian girl who, like, all I've ever wanted is to live in New York. And once I kind of started working in the industry, I I wanted nothing more than to be, like, scouted by some big company <laughs> and be whisked away and, like, have all my visa shit figured out. I just kind of kept waiting for that and sort of keeping myself open for the opportunity of somebody <laughs> wanting to hire me. And it didn't happen. <laughs> and I, I just kind of, it, it seemed like I'd waited enough for something else to happen. And, and everything up till then, you know, I'd always been in control. And, and you know, I, I something snapped, I guess. I was like, fuck it. Like, if no one's going to hire me, I'm going to start my own PR firm. Um, so I came up with a name. It took a long time. And, you know, Right now, Exile PR only has one regular employee, which is me. The hope is that moving forward, it could expand. And I would be pleased if it grew into something slightly more established than than what it is right now. And and yeah, so that's it. It was just sort of a like, not going to wait for someone else anymore, going to just do it on my own. What's the experience of working for yourself like? Because obviously that must be quite hard in that, you know, you self-generate all your work and you have to motivate yourself. You know, is that something you find easy or, or, or tough? I mean, ever since kind of finding this path, it's come very naturally because I just love what I'm doing. It, all I do is sit at the computer and I find it so exciting. And I find <laughs> it, you know, that rush when you get an email back from a journalist is like nothing else. It's better than sex. Um, <laughs> I I would love to kind of like have some people around me during the day. And I miss cafes so much because that was just like the perfect thing. Um, and, and I love every time I go back to work at Fantasia, like working in that whole office and having my like assistance for that. Super great. But I, it's not, it's not really hard. Um, I guess I just like keep thinking about the stakes, you know, like if I don't do this, then like, Someone's life is going to get fucked up because this movie is going to bomb. And that is depressing. Does it weigh on you? Do you feel the pressure? Yeah, all the time. All the time. But but in a good way, I think. Mm. Mostly. Mostly in a good way. It's fun. Uh, but uh, I think it's good, though, to take it seriously. I, I think a lot of publicists out there, you know, especially bigger corporations. And I think this is sort of one of the, the things that makes 
that appeals to people when working with me is, you know, I really care about it. And it's not just a paycheck. And I, you know, really want to see these films succeed and these mm. filmmakers be happy. I could not just phone it in. And, and what has become the standard in many ways, just phoning it in. I mean, unless it's like a major client or something, um, a lot, a lot, especially when we're talking about genre films and lower budget independent films, um, I, I, I think a lot really get burned at that process. And obviously this year, I mean, we have to talk about it because festivals have been, you know, changed in a, a massive way, hopefully not irrevocably, but, you know, you, you, we imagine that the festivals that come back will probably be markedly different from the ones we knew um, before the pandemic. But I'm wondering, you know, how it's changed your job day to day. Obviously, films still need an audience and those audiences still exist, but you're not in the physical festival. You know, what's it like marketing something when people are only going to view it online? It's tricky. We, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of adapting. I feel like it's so normal now. I can barely even remember what I've adapted. Um, <laughs> we, we, we no longer have that satisfaction of, you know, buzz around a screening, which is, is real. Like that, it feels great when you have a movie premiere and like the critics are talking about it and the audience is excited. And, and now, I mean, this is all honestly probably affect filmmakers more than me, like a million times more. But uh, it is still weird to not have any kind of gauge if you've succeeded at your job at all. I mean, I guess if you're lucky enough and you like work for the festival, you can check and see the ticket sales. And then just there's a lot a lack of urgency, which I, I guess maybe the bigger festivals still mm. have it. You know, Sundance and Berlinale, where there's this rush to get out coverage right away. But on a, a lot of the festivals I work for and, and a lot of the festivals I've had films go through, like the everything trickles down because these journalists aren't there on location, you know, seeing movies all day, going back to their hotel rooms, writing a review, getting it up right away. They're at home with their, you know, family, their significant others. They maybe even have a day job that they haven't taken time off of. They're also probably like doing multiple virtual film festivals at once. And, you know, it, it's just a lot now on their plate. So I totally get it. But we're seeing now that like when a film premieres, that doesn't mean that all the big reviews will come right away it'll mm. come up in the course of a week. And and it's just like, you know, having to like, you know, adjust our traditional expectations of, of what that timeline looks like and also communicating that to filmmakers who are obviously in some way still sort of expecting that big launch moment. And I've also like started this side gig. I don't know, maybe this is totally going to derail the conversation. No, please uh, tell me. <laughs> There's this really cool platform. It's called Gather, but you have like, we you can like custom build maps that look like video games wow like, like little tiny like pokemon game boy games uh-huh. and you have a little like you you control an avatar and when your avatar is near another one you're like cameras sync up so it's very it's like the closest we've had to like you know spontaneous interaction and mingling mm. and like you know parties um <laughs> so now with like virtual kind of taking over myself and a few of my creative partners have started making custom gather spaces for film festivals and markets and film like parties for films to celebrate their world premieres in so that they could still invite their friends and critics and you know programmers from the festival and all that to kind of come mingle together in a sort of like fantastic weird 8-bit world um so that's been really cool and so cool. people are really yeah it people are really responding to it and every time like it's very cathartic because you could like sit at a bar table and then like <laughs> someone will walk up to your table that you haven't seen in forever wow. um and you like end up just like hanging out till 2 a.m meeting new people like 
real life. That sounds amazing. I, I do love that idea that, yeah, it just forces you to create something that you probably wouldn't ever have thought of doing. There's something quite exciting yeah. about that. Yeah, I'll invite you to my next gather party. <laughs> Thank you. And then obviously I know that you run PR for two festivals as well that you mentioned, um, Fantasia still and Nightstream. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, how you balance that with your other work. Is that something that you kind of, you go back to annually and then you can kind of figure out where everything else is going to slot into it? Yeah, well, so Fantasia is annual um, and that has been, you know, for over 10 years. Um, and as of this past year, um, so before I was the assistant in my department, and as of last year, I run the international communications <laughs> department. I know, I know. Raise the roof. <laughs> um, so that's great. And so that is like 100% an annual thing. Nightstream, Nightstream is actually, or was actually, um, a, a, a combo uh, emerging of a bunch of smaller film festivals that had all been displaced or canceled because of COVID. So they all came together and put on this like super fun online edition. Um, that was just great. And, you know, within Nightstream, there was actually three festivals that I, I do PR for annually, which is uh, Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, Boston Underground, um, and Night, uh, North Bend Film Festival. <laughs> so, so yeah, Nightstream and Fantasia are the ones in my Twitter bio, but uh, there's quite a few more that like <laughs> I've, I've gone in and out of doing PR for uh, mm. over the past few years. But yeah, to answer the question, they always happen and they gotta happen because I love the festival so much and I wouldn't be able to separate from kind of helping platform them. So everything just has to be juggled for a little bit. <laughs> just has to happen. It just um, has to happen. Yeah, it has to happen. I mean, I, I do try to not take on anything major uh, that conflicts with these, but, um, mm. you know, sometimes it's just unavoidable if you've, like, agreed to do a film and then all of a sudden the distribution date changes and... And then, you know, working for a festival, does that flex a different muscle from when you're just working one specific film? You know, is that engaging a different side of your brain or a different skill set? And if so, you know, how? Yeah. So when I work for Fantasia, especially, I like manage a team, which is awesome. So, it, it, you know, it, it really kind of enforces or like activate those kind of bones inside of me where, and you know, so it's like not, it's delegation. The thing that we all seem to have so much trouble with actually delegating anything. (laughs) So I end up doing a lot of that and just kind of like, like strategy in a different way, like building tools to kind of get my whole team through the promotion of this festival versus sort of, you know, creating something that only I need to use and just works the way my brain works. Mm. Um, So it's actually like very like nice and challenging. And, and I, and I really, really do love it um I hope if any of my past interns are listening for this they 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 also loved it but yeah and you know obviously you're you're all of a sudden taking care of like got like 40 films if not more um some of them more than others it, it, it it's it's overwhelming it's like a, a storm in your head and you have to constantly remind yourself of every everything you're keeping tabs on but you know in that storm there's like a lot of exhilaration the other thing it sort of sparks is this idea that I mean I guess PR and marketing gets a bad rap in that isn't maybe not always considered the most creative of jobs I mean I've worked in marketing and I I find it infinitely creative and you're you know you're writing copy and you're creating you know you know public facing materials and you're you're doing a lot but I'm wondering you know what you do specifically to sort of stay creatively energized or you know come across new ideas or trends you know in marketing you know where do you go when you're kind of feeling a bit like oh this is feeling a bit stale 
Yeah, interesting question. So uh, what I think what I do is I look at, you know, recent films being released by, you know, other distributors that I have nothing to do with. And I just kind of track a little bit what those teams have done PR wise and, and see sort of the outlets that they've worked with and pitched and the sort of angles and the headlines. And and very often I'll find like a cool outlet or, you know, they'll, they'll have done something with it that I didn't think of that will just, you know, kind of leave a mark and like, make me think about it for the future and all that. Do you think there's enough like recognition in this or like is recognition just like people knowing the film you know in and of itself or people watching the film like is that enough for you? It's it also like the moment when the filmmaker says that they're happy with everything that's like Mm. a big moment and I'm really lucky I'm like friends with quite a few of the filmmakers I've worked with still like like not not just acquaintances and I think that's like Pretty it's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I love when that happens. Like, this guy sounds so dopey, but, like, you know, when you could turn a work connection mm-hmm. into a friendship because of this, like, shared moment and passion or whatever that you you kind of contribute together, like, that's kind of fucking great. So I think when that happens, that's when it's like, okay, this was, like, a good job. We could all go to bed easy now. And, I mean, it's honestly, the coolest part is when they let you know that like, because of how well a film was received, it's like fast-tracked and open doors to like their next project. And I get to hear that a lot. So I'm pretty lucky. Cause that, you know, from their perspective, that's why they're doing it to make the next one. And if, if I can help kind of get that going in this like crazy world, then cool. Yeah, big time. And then do you like, you, you know, hope to go along for the ride? Like, is it the intention that, you know, that once you build those relationships, you would work on the next film? You know, is that the kind of ambition there as well? Yeah, that's always like in in the back of my head and, and something I hope for. And I obviously know that I can't, you know, expect it of everything, but that's there, you know. First you do like the little world premiere and the next time you're on the can or <laughs> always, always the dream. <laughs> Is it quite cutthroat in that way? You know, if they go on to the next bigger film, you know, if you're used to handling kind of smaller independent premieres that, you know, that you would get left behind, you know, is that something that you think about? It is. It definitely is. Um, And all I could really do is keep working and, you know, keep advancing and, and, you know, slowly taking on bigger opportunities to be able to work at that level. Um, And even then, like, I'm, I'm always sort of hoping to find some other publicists who work hand in hand with, I mean, a major blind spot for me is, you know, not having uh, like anything connected to kind of like red carpet PR or, or awards PR. I have no idea what to do with that. So it, it, I'm always on the lookout for other kind of weirdo passionate publicists that might want to sort of join the company name. I, you know, I, I guess, you know, when I do think about like, shit, yeah, like, what if one day I have a movie I can? Like I, as much as I want to say that I'll be ready to handle it on my own, I also like would be very happy to find someone more experienced, but also sort of that like aligned with mm-hmm. me in work ethic to work with because I'm not dumb and I would not want to want to sabotage anyone's career. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, like you, you never know until you work at that level if you could do it, but also you're terrified that you can't until you actually go through with it. Mm. But that's the exciting thing, right? That's I, I kind of you, you kind of have to go for those moments where you're a little bit terrified because it you yeah know, it means it's 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 new territory and it's different. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was scared shitless when I had a movie at TIFF, like totally fucking 
terrified <laughs> and i i think i like barely got any sleep that week i was just like constantly sending emails i was like just never enough follow-ups <laughs> like you can never never have enough and and it went really great like it went fucking well and we were very fuzzy you know which is what you want and yeah so like that was that was kind of this moment it like worked through like never done an a-list festival had a movie at tiff goes great so what yeah one could only hope that the the next experience like that goes as well Mm. i mean speaking of moments like those is there a campaign that you're proudest of having worked on even though if i was able to do this one now i would do twice as well um I did the PR for the filmmakers of CAM. Um, and, you know, the film had previously world premiered at Fantasia, where I met Danny and Issa. And um, I just kind of came to do some backup for them uh, when it was gearing up for the Netflix release. And again, don't think I got any sleep in that period. But we were able to start a lot of really great conversations around the film. Mm-hmm. And engage with a lot of outlets that wouldn't typically be approached to cover what was considered a horror film even though you know obviously it has layers and like I guess that's also kind of my thing is like I like to take genre films specifically horror films and pitch them and present them like just a normal movie I mean obviously not like a Sundance rom-com but there's just like so much emphasis put on this idea of genre Mm -hmm. PR or horror PR and the like correct outlets and the right Mm -hmm. outlets when it's like hey everyone loves Rosemary's Baby well so like, why can't we just present these mm. films to like actual like, right, real critics and journalists? Like, why is there always this whole kind of niche kind of mentality around? So, mm. anyways, Cam, we kind of just like tore the rule book up and went after anyone we wanted. And you know, obviously it was a Netflix film, so it had that going for it. But it got places, and that was phenomenal and exciting. And I was getting messages from people in my life just saying that like everywhere they looked they saw Cam being talked about. So that was a huge moment. I mean, up till then I'd worked with, you know, a lot of smaller releases. And and again, having the Netflix name opens up doors 100%. Like a lot of these journalists probably would not have looked at it if it wasn't going to be on Netflix. But I kind of still put it in front of them. I was like, hey, this is coming soon. You should watch it. And together, you know, with that distribution label and with my refusal to to take anything less than greatness, uh, we really did something cool with it. Yeah. But I mean, there's that, there's, that it's a Netflix film and that is exciting. But then I think Netflix films also need an added level of kind of buzz about them in a way because there's so much you know there's a surface yeah. of content on that platform you almost need like an extra reason to yeah to get out so it's almost you know an added added level of success that you kind of yeah you know, separated not the wheat from the chaff but you know that <laughs> you know you made a film buzzable on Netflix <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're totally right because I, I do know how they how they function and I, I sometimes forget the sheer amount of content they release and that the ones that succeed are small like the ones that make it into our eye line are are, are such a a tiny number of everything that they're actually releasing so yeah we, we just have been great it's so nice to own that as well though I think you know we can be shy about our successes so it's always good to to shout about them I'm also wondering you know if there's something that you consider to be a biggest learning curve of your career or you know something that perhaps you wish you'd learned earlier time management um, <laughs> I and also just being up to speed on sort of new technological tools. I'm very thorough with everything I do and the way I kind of lay out my strategies and the way I have my personal books kind of 
at the ready and you know ready to go and all that and mm-hmm. and i know there are easier ways to do this i know there are easier ways to send out press releases to organize my list i'm 100 percent aware i for the life of me cannot just take the plunge to get into it and <laughs> and i i you know it would have I wish I kind of like come at everything with structure, but now I have to like go back and structure everything. And like, that's so daunting. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I guess like I wish I'd been more familiar with the tools. I have a lot of poems. Like I've never been professionally trained in PR. I wonder constantly what the like real publicists do. But then I wonder if that's what sets you apart. And that's, you know, why why you, you make something special out of, you know, the films that you work on is that, you know, it's not a cookie cutter template. Yeah. There are there, are there, I don't know. I think there's something quite special about that, I would say. There is. It's also a really scary place to be in, though. But yeah, I think, you know, it does set me apart and 100%. And then finally, I'd love to know um, if there's a film from a woman director that you consider to be a bit of a hidden gem. I mean, this is your job, after all, is like <laughs> elevating films into, you know, the wider canon. Um, which film would you like to talk about today? Okay, can I, can I, can I say a recent one? Yeah, please. Any okay. film from any so, history. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad when I'm put on the spot, by the way. Like, I feel like as soon as we get off of this, I'll remember like 10 more of these notes. <laughs> but as I was preparing for this, I went to a fairly recent film that I'm absolutely obsessed with, which is Time of Molting, Sabrina Merchants. Okay. If I'm butchering your last name, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, Time of Molting is this amazingly atmospheric, sparse, uh drama kind of documentary inspired in ways um it's sabrina's not her thesis film but a school film she is a german filmmaker um Mm -hmm. i don't know what is it is with these german film schools but they are doing something right (laughs) because every (laughs) film i see from a german film student is absolutely phenomenal and you know because my favorite of the year time of molting to sort of follows this young girl being raised in what is like a very emotionally ostracizing family this close-knit family of her mom her mother and her father but I saw it at Rotterdam first where it was it wasn't even world premiering there it's like in world premiere some German festival but it did Rotterdam and it's just like there's this phenomenal dread in it but it's also so beautiful and it's shot kind of like a documentary, which I think just helps it get under your skin more. Um, and it's not what one would traditionally consider a genre film. And if you actually watch it and then go and check out the Q&A Sabrina did out of Fantasia, she reveals a few really cool facts that totally make it a genre film. I'm not going to say here because it's like way more exciting if you like watch it and then have these big questions all over your face and everything. And then you like, go and dive in on your own when to keep an eye on well i will link the q a in the show notes it sounds incredible thank you so much for recommending that and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today it's been such a treat to talk with you thank you so much for having me my podcast cherry is now popped Um, (laughs) i hope i have not misspoken and angered anyone but if anyone needs to get in touch with me my email is on my website um, and yeah it's just been really nice talking to you and I look forward to one of these days being able to drink a beer with you or a, beverage yeah, a festival yeah no yeah. it would be lovely to meet IRL um, but thank you so much Kayla
Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're particularly interested in festivals or the marketing space, I recommend listening to my episodes with Anna Bogskaya and Karina Antrobus. I'll be back with another episode next Tuesday, but in the meantime, have a wonderful week of bookshop browsing, pint sipping and hair snipping. Mm-hmm.